Hi, I'm Jamie Goldstein from Pillar VC, and welcome to Build with the Best. This is our chance to connect with the smartest minds in blockchain, Web3, and crypto, and gain their perspective on building real, useful applications on Web3, the fun and the challenges of this brave new world. Jamie Goldstein and his guests are not registered investment advisors. All opinions are Jamie's and his guests alone. Nothing discussed today is investment advice, and it should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This is episode three, and we are lucky today to have our guest, my friend, Steve Kokinos, the CEO of Algorand. Steve, you have a great life story that led up to your time at Algorand. Please, you know, give everybody the lowdown. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Jamie. It's, uh, it's, great, to, uh, it's great to be on. Um, you know, I guess I'll, I, I can you know kind of relate my story back to almost where we are now in crypto. Um, you know, when I was actually around uh, seventeen, so this was like mid nineties. Uh, not to age myself, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the internet was like very early. Dial-up modems. You know, people were connecting to bulletin boards, and AOL and CompuServe uh, got big. And um, tried to start an ISP. Uh, got basically sort of run out of anybody who I talked to for being like a, you know, literally a kid. And uh, then when I was 19, I took another crack at it and couldn't figure out how the Yahoo guys were going to make any money. Yeah. Um, although I guess that was a, a mistake. But, you know, we felt like uh, infrastructure was going to have to be paid for and uh, built one of the first Internet infrastructure businesses and uh, we're doing some of the you know big applications out on, on the Web in, in kind of the early days. Um, a lot of work with Sun Microsystems and all of their software downloads and Lycos and their auction sites and um, and many others. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think what was interesting back then where there's like a real parallel to crypto today is that it seems crazy in retrospect. But, you know, the early days of the Internet were very much about decentralization. Uh, it was about bringing the power of publishing to the individual from you know, newspapers and kind of monolithic outlets. Uh, and also it was very, um, you know, I'd say cryptic, uh, no pun intended, technology yep. where the early protocols were very unfriendly um, in terms of users and, you know, people would have like Unix terminals up and, and communicate with each other that way. Um, and so I, I think it would have been hard for people in those early days to really imagine, you know, uh, Netflix. What we're doing now. All right. the stuff that we're doing now, even what we're doing right. on here, right? So I think irrespective of whether the internet lived up to all the ideals, I think certainly it changed the way people um, communicate and uh, and shop and consume media and, and, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, I guess for sort of my personal uh, end of things, you know, as we grew uh, kind of the hosting business, we ended up selling it in, in 2000. Uh, worked for the acquiring company for a couple of years. And what we realized as that business scaled was that um, there really, like it wasn't gonna be viable if every time 15 or 20 servers were bought, uh, a new system administrator had to be hired. So started looking for automation tools um, and then ultimately left with some other folks um, to create a company called Blade Logic. And, um, you know, Opsware, which is Andreasen and Horowitz's company was one of the big competitors there. Uh, and um, both did well, Blade Logic ultimately went public and, and then was sold. Um, after that, I spent about a decade in the communications world, uh, building kind of early cloud communications um, software. And, and, uh, and you know, fortunately, I, I guess, Jamie, I, I, you know, started chatting with you about crypto in maybe right. 2016. Yep. And, you know, I, I think 
one of the things that that fascinated me and kind of my crypto journey um, is, I'd say, started a little bit before that. A few years prior, I had friends that were early Bitcoin miners and had been bugging me to get involved. Um, but I just felt like I was too busy and didn't really understand what was going on. So when I had a little bit more time on my hands, uh, set up a Bitcoin miner and some GPU miners uh, were mining like Ethereum and Zcash and other stuff in, in the basement of my house. Um, and um, found that it was the most dynamic thing that I had seen since the early days of the internet when I was I was sort of much younger and um, you know was fortunate to get introduced to Silvio by uh, by you and and spend you know increasing amount of time with him and um, you know that sort of ultimately led to my, my involvement in Algrand but it's um, I think it's you know the, the parallels really to kind of those early days of the internet I think are really where we are now where there's technology, some of the early technological problems are, are getting solved, um, but there's still a lot of problems around user experience and developer experience and, and how everything stitches together. So um, I think it'll be fascinating to see how things play out over the right. next, you know, several years. Indeed. And uh, in full disclosure, we are investors and uh, we're involved in Algorand. But for those of us, uh, for those of our listeners that don't know Algorand, maybe just say a sentence or two to bring them up to speed. Sure. So um, Algorand is a, a public blockchain network and a uh, layer one protocol um, was founded by Silvio Micali, who um, invented the protocol. And he uh, got the idea behind it because he was introduced. Um, and for those who don't know, Silvio is a, a Turing Prize winning cryptographer and really one of the founders of, of modern cryptography um, and was introduced um, by his students to Bitcoin you know, virtually when it was launched and felt that it was a really fascinating use of uh, distributed computer science and also cryptography, um, but also felt that sort of proof of work uh, was kind of effectively fatally flawed if it was going to be used by everybody around the world. And so really sought to think about what fundamental changes um, were needed and innovation in computer science if you were going to bring a network uh, to the world that was simultaneously scalable, secure, and decentralized. And I think that's really what uh, what Algorand represents. Got it. Yeah, the trilemma everybody talks about. Wonderful. So so where are we today with Web3 adoption? Like where, where do you think traction is happening at Algorand or even more broadly? And, and when do you think it's going to get to the, to the masses if, if it hasn't yet? Yeah, well, I think this is where there's like a little bit of a, a you know, um, a little bit of a dichotomy between the number of people who hold crypto um, and the number of people who are actually interacting with blockchain applications. Yep. So if you look at the number of people globally who hold crypto, um, most of which is held at exchanges like, you know, Coinbase or Binance or, or others, um, you know, it's it's you know, uh, 100 million plus or hundreds of millions. Um, if you look at the number, the percentage of people um, that have interacted with a blockchain directly or a blockchain application, it's you know about one percent of the internet or less for sure. And so you're looking at re really you know uh, you know considerably smaller than that. And so I think one of the the things that we see is um, while there are some exciting there are are some exciting applications that are bringing people more towards the mainstream in terms of use 
of blockchain, it's still very, very early. And there's a lot of difficulty, um, whether it's in terms of people getting onboarded into wallets um, or just sort of understanding how to interact, uh, where, you know, there, there's still too much exposure to sort of the fundamental um, underlying tech. Now, that's right. changing pretty quickly. And I think we're starting to see, uh, I think NFTs have kind of led the way in terms of people's yep. access to art and music and, and you know, other things and are really waking people up to the, the idea that, um, there's now a way to, to create digital scarcity and to establish ownership of digital property in a way that that's sort of been impossible uh, up until now. And so right. I think that's sparked people's imagination in a way that's starting to like spin things back around uh, to mainstream developers, which is uh, which is exciting. So I guess the short answer to your question is, you know, from our perspective, we're at kind of like the very start point of what will be a big push into the mainstream over the next um, next little while. Yeah. It's interesting. I was talking with some colleagues about NFT, which, you know, certainly caught fire. Um, but the, but I think most people associate NFT with pictures, uh, you know, profile pictures and, and maybe to some extent music. And the term NFT, of course, is so much broader than that. You know, a non-fungible token can be used for many, many things, really just sort of a mini computing element. And, uh, and and sometimes I worry that uh, there's too much too much focus on the profile pictures and uh, you know sort of losing the broader context of how revolutionary those are. Anyway, um, so it's it's called Web three nowadays. Some people love that term. Some people not so certain about that term. But uh, I guess Web three comes after Web two. So is it your view that everything that was done in Web two will be kind of replatformed onto Web three? Or do you think that there's certain applications where it makes sense and plenty of other things will sort of stay in Web2 land? I think it's like everything where there'll, there'll be sort of like a new normal that, that gets established. I, th I think if you when you think about Web3, I think it's important to think about like what Web3 networks are really good for. And I, I think there's a, a few kind of fundamental elements. The, you know, the first is that, um, you know, for effectively all of you know, recorded history, uh, from, you know, kind of current time backwards, um, financial innovation has happened um, inside of either banks or countries, really, or whatever the financial institution was before there were banks. Yep. And those are effectively like the least innovative place in the world to get anything done. Right. right. So they're awful at, at figuring those out. And so I think um, what some of these networks um, have started to establish are ways that you can see um, financial or creative innovation in a public setting where everyone can see because it's transparent what's going on and iterate and innovate very very fast and I think we've we've started to um, to see that I think in in the end though you know there are certain things that blockchain networks are very good for um, establishing transparency establishing ownership um, you know, acting as a ledger, uh, being able to uh, enable very complex transactions between people who don't know each other, right. uh, but they aren't necessarily um, as efficient as kind of Web2 networks are for, you know, kind of certain elements. And so I think what you'll start to see is applications where um, there are Web3 elements, but it's not necessarily all or nothing where we'll just abandon kind of what's gone on in, in the internet before. You know, that said, though, if you go back to 
some of the financial innovation area. Um, so I give an example on Algorand, uh, Columbia's vaccine passport, the country of Columbia uh, runs on top of Algorand. And every time somebody registers, about 6 million people have registered so far, you know, that creates a wallet. And uh, what I think is interesting in um, let's just say Latin America more broadly, is that now you're, we're seeing a lot of users creating wallets um, for all sorts of different reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, but 90% of the people uh, have smartphones, but only about a quarter of the people have bank accounts. And so I think what we'll start to see, I, we see it sort of a little bit less of like, will you use Web 2 and will you use Web 3 components? But it's more, you know, are there parts of the world where ultimately people's first exposure to modern financial tools um, will just be through Web3 right. and they'll never probably interact with the traditional bank uh, in their whole life. And I, I think that that's what we're excited about, that we see um, a lot of movement towards that, um, especially in, in areas where financial inclusion is a problem. And I think there's some pre there's actually real Web2 precedent to, you know, this sort of thing. Um, you know, probably 10 years ago now, um, during kind of the early cloud days, it was pointed out uh, to me that South Africa had one of the highest growth rates um, anywhere in the world in terms of cloud adoption. And so, you know, instinctively, you'd sort of say, geez, that's kind of strange. I don't really understand why that would be. Well, what it turns out was, you know, that was a country that had a lot of problems, but quickly had a very big entrepreneurial culture and uh, fast growing companies, but they didn't have the legacy infrastructure that the Western right. world had. So they yep. immediately like went straight to all of these new cloud solutions. And, and that became just sort of the default infrastructure for everybody. And I, I think that, um, you know, we will very likely start to see an analog to that in, in more of the financial kind of Web3 crypto world. Really cool. What a great story that is. Um, well, so part of our discussion in, in these sessions is is taking things that people understand and helping them think about how it might get replatformed onto Web3, whether it even makes sense to do it on Web3. So the first two episodes, we talked about Uber and you and I, I think, agreed today we're going to talk about Yelp. So a different kind of marketplace and so uh, maybe just explain for those who don't know what Yelp is, well, what rock they might be living under, um, or maybe Yelp uh, in other parts of the world, not as popular, but um, what is Yelp? And, and do you think it should be built on Web3? And, and what might be better about it if it was? Yeah, well, Yelp and maybe, I mean, feel free to chime in if I sure. get pitch wrong, um, yeah. enables uh, companies to sort of post information about themselves and then for their customers to go and post reviews um, on, you know, what their experience was and, and working with them. And I think it's especially, um, you know, especially popular things like restaurants and, and yes. you know, hotels and, and things like that. Right. Hairdressers, nail, nail salons, all that kind of stuff. For sure. Um, I think one of the problems with, I, I think, with uh, like a platform like Yelp is that um, it, there tends to be kind of overwhelming bias for the people who um, go report what their experience was when they had a negative experience right. um, versus many fewer actually go report um, when they have a positive experience. And, and I think what that's led to on the flip side is our businesses that feel compelled uh, to go generate kind of false positive reviews for themselves as well. And so you have sort of this battle of, you know, kind of negative reviews. Like they go hire an army of people to write fake reviews for them. That's right. Exactly. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think in a world where truth is already a, a bit of a murky topic, yep. um, 
I, I think, you know, it's those kinds of dynamics that, that I think tend to, to exacerbate that. And I, I think that's an area where if you think about Web3 and crypto, one, transparency about being able to see, you know, maybe you only show reviews of people where it wasn't their first review. Um, or maybe people build reputation over time. That's something that can be done like very transparently. So now you can understand not just who's saying stuff, but what the quality of those people are. Um, the the other is you know you can use incentives. I think this is one of the you know amazing things about tokenization is really thinking about how do you incent people um, through you know paying them you know small payments uh, to either you know participate and give an opinion irrespective of whether it's positive or negative, um, but then also be able to transparently see, um, you know, who is it that's interacting with a particular company, right? If all of a sudden there's tons of positive reviews with people who have never reviewed before, well, you have a pretty good idea that that's, that's not true. So I think there's definitely by bringing transparency and incentivization into it, you could yeah. certainly reform kind of, I think, a, a you know, big chunk of the, um, you know, problem area that, that comes up in those kinds of networks. Right. That, that, the concept of reputation is really interesting here. Say more about how, um, you know, just conceptually, how you might be able to figure out somebody's reputation, or where you know where would that come from? Well, it's a few different things. I mean, I, there's kind of extremes to the spectrum. I'd say, right? One would be um, in, say, a user pool. You you look for you know people to give reviews, kind of one way or the other and they get paid for that review. And then if other people like it, they could establish that they found it to be a valuable review. And as a result, you get sort of positive or negative reputation yep. points um, yep. from, from that. I, I think that's sort of a simple example. I think in sort of the Web3 world, that extends all the way out to the other end of the spectrum, which are you know, sort of DAOs and this idea that um, people can vote in a decentralized way and, and have influence over um, decisions. Uh, and there, you know, you can, the way you can establish that is by sort of seeing whether people voted at all, do they vote in kind of one direction or the other and sort of giving credit for, for, um, for that sort of thing. And, and again, so I think there's one where the community can kind of keep people honest by providing incentives, not only to post reviews, but providing incentives to sort of rate whether the review itself was good or not. Yeah. Um, and then on the other is, you know, think about incentives to incent participation so that, you know, as people are, are, you know, are trying to ascertain kind of the quality of something, you know, they could vote something up or down as, as whether they think that. Uh, that right. Made sense. But I guess also even in a Web3 world, like, I mean, part of the reputation here is, is this a real person or not? And if you know their wallet address, you can see other activities that they're involved with. Maybe they do contribute to a DAO or maybe they're transacting on other networks to establish, yeah, this is actually a real person. Uh, and maybe some of those uh, some of those properties have a view on what what their reputation is as well as well. That, that's um, right. I mean, I, I think since like actual transactions, where pe especially if even if it's a small amount of money that people had to spend to to um, create the transaction, you know, tends to be like a good arbiter, you know, if, albeit of a simple one as to to whether someone's a real person or not. Right. So, so you were saying, you know, maybe you pay people for, for posting uh, reviews. I presume you mean that's a token. And, and so, like, just say more about the token and why people might find, you know, think that token might someday be worth some money or grow in value or why they might hold it as opposed to sell it. Well, I, th I think that, the, you know, this actually is a, a, like a pretty interesting example, right? I, and 
I'll answer the like token value thing in a minute, but I, sure. I think one of, if you really step back and think about what we're starting to learn um, from kind of the crypto and Web3 community, um, it's that, uh, or from the crypto and I'd say Web3 movement, it's the community has economic value. And I think one of the things like we've also always sort of intrinsically, intrinsically understood that communities have value. If you think about, you know, music fans or sports fans, you know, those fans obviously have kind of economic value. Um, but understanding, you know, what their sort of relationship um, with, say, you know, kind of different things that they like is, uh, has been very, very hard. So it could also be that, um, you know, reason you might want to hold a token is maybe your favorite restaurant has like an extra incentive so that you post a review no matter what. And now you want to hold it because you can use it there uh, and, you know, get a free meal or a discount off, uh, you know, what you're doing. Um, the other thing we find for sure that's that's um, a big part of the NFT movement is that really what it represents is membership in a community. And so I, I think that what we're finding is that, A, um, there are types of kind of assets or, you know, th there, there are kind of identifiers that people have um, that have value to them that may not have value to everybody. And the two, um, you know, public networks are enabling the value of those assets to be understood economically. And I think those there's new users coming in, you obviously have, I think, unusual dynamics that happen um, sometimes, um, but it is sort of a very interesting um, very sort of interesting dynamic that people now have a way to have continued association with the brands that they identify with. And, uh, and as a result, uh, I think that drives some of this behavior of people wanting to have, you know, a, a bigger share in the value. The other, I, I think, area to think about, I saw online the other day, you know, uh, who Microsoft bought uh, Activision, Blizzard, yep. Yep. or, you know, I don't know what, a little, $70 billion or something. And there was a big outcry in the, in, uh, in the community that the community got zero as part of that sure. transaction, right. right? Just like two monolithic companies. Yep. And so I think one of the other things that's a very interesting dynamic is that it tends to be um, the, the places that um, bring, give more economic value to their communities that have higher value overall because people feel more um, aligned and incented. Right. And so I think it's, it's again, you know, some of these ideas are a little bit counterintuitive that you would give sort of money away to, you know, the community. But on the yep. other hand, I think people um, are now starting to understand that, it, that the community being more engaged, you know, drives value um, kind of in and of itself. So it's, right. it's, it's, you know, sort of, I think, fascinating and, and somewhat new concepts in some ways. Yeah, I love the idea of uh, of of frequent contributors uh, getting NFTs, and that gets them discounts. There's things at at uh, restaurants. It makes me wonder, like, how do you become a food critic? Like, you know, the guy that gets to go in and eat for free, and uh, you know, gets paid to write their stuff. So this this would bring a uh, a little less mystery to that whole process. For okay, sure. so do you think? Is this enough to succeed? Do you think people would be drawn to a new Web3 version of Yelp because it had this sort of uh, token economy, NFT stuff behind it? Or, or do you think mm, existing Yelp probably good enough should focus our energy elsewhere? Well, I think if you look, centralized platforms have been very good at or have become very skilled at user acquisition. I think if you look at you know the machinery that 
you know, Facebook and Google especially have built to acquire users and, you know, target them. I, you know, I think that's very sophisticated. So I, I would say that um, in terms of generating kind of network effects quickly at very high scale, and certainly the Web2 world is uh, effectively, you know, weaponized kind of, you know, that <laughs> things um, to a point that it may not even be healthy. I mean, I think people are pretty much addicted to their yeah, phone. Right. Uh, so I, I think the Web3 world is is certainly pretty far behind in terms of uh, creating the same sort of user experiences and, and kind of onboarding, uh, smooth onboarding that is sort of part and parcel to kind of the Web2 uh, web world. <laughs> On the flip side, I think what we do see is that when users in Web3 get excited mm -hmm. about uh, a community or an application, you know, they can move, they move very, very quickly and those yeah. incentives are, are very powerful. And so I think we're just getting into the intersection point of those two things, which we're, are going to drive, um, you know, this world uh, a lot more mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the things, you know, we, we hear about a lot is just how difficult it is to join one of these networks and creating a wallet and writing down your secret phrase and all this stuff. Like for an application like we're describing, how important do you think it is that uh, it's a non-custodial, uh, I'm sorry, it's, uh, that it's, whether it's custodial, meaning people will have their own keys and their own tokens on their, on their device, or whether it lives, you know, in the cloud as part of the service itself. Does, does it matter here? Um, I think it certainly, uh, it, it does matter. I mean, I do think one of the sort of fundamental premises of crypto and blockchain is that um, people have custody of their own keys and are responsible for their money, just like you'd be responsible for the money that's in your, you know, physical cash that's in, in your wallet. Um, yep. I do think at the same time, uh, it's not an all or nothing proposition. And, you know, the idea where it's, you know, people uh, may start without, you know, having their own keys, but they men then may migrate to it later as they get more comfortable with the system. I do think, I think that's something that we'll see more of. Um, and there's new techniques that make it, you know, much easier and more secure. Um, things like uh, multi-party computation, which is, I realize uh, might not be familiar to everyone, but the idea that you could have sort of multiple people that custody keys. Um, and, you know, I think if, if you look at some of the work that, that we do, obviously at Algorand, um, we're focused on sort of core infrastructure. You know, we have an idea of rekeying where you can maintain the same public key, i.e. account number that people see publicly, um, but you could start with a non-custodial solution and then rekey to take, you know, take back your keys yourself. So it might make sense that when you have something lower value um, or earlier on, you value the onboarding process and making that very smooth for users, but that, you know, down the road as they get more sophisticated or have higher, more value occurring into those wallets, they may very well want to take that over themselves. And so we think it's, right. you know, there needs to be pathways where you make it easy for, for not just sort of one modality, but that, you know, you kind of bring people to the right solution over yeah, time. Yeah, I love that. And then if it's really a lot of money, then maybe they don't want to have it on their own keys, you know, their, the keys in their own anymore because that starts to get scary too um and that you know maybe a multi uh multi-party thing there makes sense as well interesting so okay let's pretend for a second we thought or an entrepreneur thought this is a great idea i want to go ahead and build the web3 version of of yelp what like technically just a few a few paragraphs on like what chain should they build it on i think i know your answer uh, what tools might they use? You know, what sort of external resources would like, just like, what are the big blocks 
that that you think make up this solution? Yeah, sure. Well, obviously, you know, we uh, we want people to build on Algorand uh, and uh, think it's the best chain for for this sort of thing. Um, I think that understanding both sort of the scalability and speed properties that people need for their applications is important. But also, if you think about something like Yelp, um, we would argue that decentralization is very important for that by by ensuring that you know no one party could have control over you know, kind of what voices are heard or aren't heard, uh, yeah. and you know that enhances the value. So we we think that you know those we think that this is a world where fundamental technical elements ultimately matter over time, and uh, that you know there's a lot of platforms that have made trade-offs uh, to sort of whether get to market quickly or whatever, and and um, so I th I think that. Uh, doing kind of the right homework on kind of the core tech because it ends up being kind of a long living part of your application is is definitely key. Uh, I think the second part is, you know, blockchain development um, has a lot of different elements. It's a little bit different than just like downloading Microsoft Visual Studio, uh, right. which people are used to. Um, and, that you know, but that's changing. So if you look, um, Reach is a, a project um, that um, has built like a very easy development environment for Algorand and makes it easy for any JavaScript developer um, to come in and build smart contracts and blockchain apps um, by by making uh, by eliminating the need for developers to learn kind of all of the underpinnings of of the blockchain networks. And right. so, you know, I think as people are getting up to speed, I think first of all, understanding kind of the the underlying tech that they're building on, but then secondly, um, you know, looking for uh, ways to kind of simplify, you know, their their kind of onboarding experience as as new developers. You know, today, um, there's maybe a couple hundred thousand developers that build on blockchain uh, or build blockchain applications, but about 20 million people that don't. And so there's, right. there's still a long way to go, even to the developer community becoming more more mainstream. So yeah. I think kind of the quality of of how tos and, and tools and whatnot are are really key yeah. as well. Do you think all of these reviews? live and the pictures and videos that go along with them, do they live on the blockchain or do they live on some decentralized storage elsewhere? Yeah, I think, I, I, you know, again, I think blockchains are very good for um, immutability and kind of storing certain kinds of data, transactional data. So I think the, it could be that the text of the review plus the, you know, when did the review happen? Who posted it? You know, those things would, would I think, naturally live on a blockchain. I think yep. pictures that people are posting, you know, heavier media um, makes more sense to live on, on you know, a, a decentralized storage platform like Arweave or IPFS, you know, yep. Filecoin. So I, yeah. I think that's what we're starting to see more now also are kind of natural um, sort of applications that are naturally taking advantage of uh, kind of more than one, chain or more than one uh, technology to, to, you know, uh, in order to deliver the user experience. But I think that's normal. We've seen that every other time uh, there's been a big tech wave. There's sort of these tech stacks that emerge that, that become yeah. common groupings that people use. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, wonderful. See, we're, we're coming to the bottom of the hour here. Thank you for your time. One final question. Uh, if you met an aspiring entrepreneur and they sort of said, hey, where should I, where do you think the gold is in the hills in Web3. Is there a specific area you think they should explore? Oh, boy, that's a that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think um, right now, like the creator economy and building tools in support of that, I think, is a very kind of rapidly evolving thing. And I, I think I would probably encourage people to uh, to investigate that for sure. Wonderful. Steve Kokinos, thanks again for joining us. 
Good luck with Algorand and everything else you're working on. Thanks, Jamie. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.